everybody, welcome back to Draco's Den and welcome to episode 50. This is the 50th episode since I began the podcast at the beginning of this year. And I was debating over what to do for this particular show. And I thought about doing a big Q&A, but as we know, I'm very impatient. So I had a few questions come in, but I also... Had uh, I have some updates. I have some a uh, couple of questions that I, that have come in that I'll go ahead and answer. Um, and I'm just going to kind of answer them in general because I didn't bother to collect the exact wording on questions. But there are a couple of topics that were brought to my attention that um, was requested that I discuss. So I will touch on some of them briefly, and then at the end, um, I'm going to go into a bit of a um, a movie review and discussion that I watched last night that I want some opinions and feedback on just because it was very interesting. But we're going to start from uh, some of the other topic requests first. Um, I'm going to address some of them shortly. You know, some of them will be shorter answers than others. Um, and we're going to get some of the obvious stuff out of the way early. So I'm gonna go ahead and jump into the, you know, first topic here. And we're just gonna keep it rolling. Okay, now for America, we obviously had uh, a fairly major event in the past couple weeks in that we had our presidential election. And as I've kind of established, I really don't do much in the way of politics on my show. I don't want to go and, you know, in order for me to have a political discussion, I have to do research. And while I'm willing to research some things, I'm not really willing to entertain a debate. Um, I don't like to go into the weeds of political issues like that. I have my beliefs and so on and so forth. But I'm going to go ahead and address my thoughts on the presidential election. And it's it's pretty fucking simple. Joe Biden won. I know at this point we're still getting, you know, orange faces in the White House trying to argue, oh, well, there's fraud in the election and all the election people are like, no, the fuck, there was an idiot. You lost. And, you know, we're just waiting on the states to basically certify their votes, you know, the Electoral College votes next month. But basically Biden won and orange faces the fuck out of office come January. And the only bit of my political leaning i will say is this i'm happy that orange face is no longer going to be in office um i am not a conspiracy theorist i was fairly confident that mail-in voting would be fine as i have basically been proven right unless you're a fucking trump supporter i will also go on on record saying i am not a hundred percent joe biden that was not who I voted for in the primaries. I was definitely a Bernie Sanders uh, voter in the primaries. That was who I wanted to win. I, I prefer his platform overall. But when it came down to it, you know, and unfortunately our system is what it is. We're basically a two-party system. You know, there are third and fourth parties and whatever the hell, but who the hell from those parties ever makes it to the national platform? The answer is none. I dealt with what the hell the hand that I was given. and we see who won and I am not 
one of those people that's bitter about it. I am going to remain mostly optimistic in that I am hoping that some good manages to get done under Biden and Harris. And as far as all the complaints of contesting shit goes, look, there's enough legalities out there. So you should pretty much know that come January the 20th, regardless of what Trump does at this point, if he cannot somehow prove this fraud that he suddenly claims because he lost, um, he's no longer going to be president. And I'm okay with that. I'm happy about that. I'm ecstatic about that. And as a matter of fact, just to tell how I found out, in fact, that they called the election for Biden, it wasn't because I was watching the news. It wasn't because I was scrolling on Facebook. I found out that Biden won because my neighbors all throughout my new apartment complex came out cheering and saying, yes, we did it. And I knew this because one of my neighbors actually spray painted or whatever on his window, fuck Donald Trump. So I knew who won. And that was interesting for me. Now, for the record, you know, if you've kept up with things, you know, I'm living in Arizona now. Um, There are a lot of Latino people around me, in addition to black people. Uh, I, I would say, you know, hell, I'm on the gay community. I think the the Latino Hispanic community is probably outnumbering us out here. But, you know, overall, I'm surrounded by a lot of different minorities. I've seen um, a couple of Middle Eastern people. I've seen some African people like there's a surprising melting pot of people here. So um, and while there are plenty of Trump supporters out here because there are signs, there were signs as I came in. There are a lot of, uh, you know, Biden and Harris supporters. And I mean, Biden managed to flip the state here. So for the record, my vote didn't count for Arizona because I'm registered in Missouri. You know, the deadline to register was, I think, the 7th or whatever. I didn't actually move here until the 16th, and I did not have an address to use to, you know, switch my registration here. So my vote counted in Missouri. Um, That being said, I see a long, hard road ahead still just because, I mean, we are still in the midst of a pandemic. We, you know, Biden's you know, task coming in here is to do what's necessary to get this shit under control. And that may mean stepping on toes and and putting some people in their place. And I hope he starts with the governor of Missouri personally, but, you know, that's just me. Um, But, you know, he has that. He has, you know, a bunch of other stuff that I've seen or heard about him wanting to address student loans and uh, debt, the economy, all that good shit. So there's... Him winning is just the start. Um, and, you know, we still have the runoff races in Georgia to decide whether or not, you know, the Senate flips as well. That's as much in detail as I'm really going to go. I don't really like political stuff and I'm not I'm not interested in a debate over it. I'm not interested in any form of discussion. I'm not interested in anybody that's wants to be a Donald Trump supporter. Um voicing their opinion my way. I'm going to be quite perfectly honest with you. I troll Donald Trump supporters on a regular on social media. I do shit, especially on my private Facebook, just to provoke the Donald Trump supporters that I have. Essentially, trying to see how much can they take before they unfollow me, unfriend me, whatever. I'm not worried about getting cussed out or anything like that one because <laughs> there's very few people that can outcuss me. But 
that's just how I look at it. And I don't look at it. And, and for those that are coming like, oh, well, you just have a difference in opinion. Can't you still be friends? Fuck no. No, 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 no. You've told me that you're okay with racism. You've told me that you're okay with homophobia, transphobia. And I mean, I'm bisexual. I'm black. I mean, no, we, we can't be friends when you are a diehard Donald Trump supporter. I don't want to hear whatever so-called virtues you think the orange fucker has. And I will continue to refer to him in that way. You can't justify him to me. And that's, that's just where it is. So him losing, good thing for me. I know a couple of people that disagree and they disagree. I know some that disagree because they didn't bother to do their research and figure out how our government works and how funds get moved and approved and how, you know, things happen in between, you know, the military and so on and so forth. And that's your business. I ain't got time. And I'm not going to sit and argue and try to convince you to shit, nor am I going to do the damn research for you. All we need to know is that the election is done. Joe Biden is in. Donald Trump is out. I don't give a fuck what happens to Orange Face after he leaves. Um, all the claims that he's made and some of his his little stooges have made too are ultimately baseless to me. You know, there's no basis for their, them in this massive voter fraud bullshit. It's not fraud just because Trump is losing, so I don't give a shit about that. I don't give a shit that he didn't officially concede because he doesn't have to concede legally. He still will not be president come January. And that's as far as I'm really going to go on that one. We, we, that's enough for you to understand how I feel on the presidential election and how I feel about the orange fuckwit that you jackasses somehow voted in office. Some of you jackasses. And that's pretty much how we're going to leave that. Um, that's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to... This will not be a regular thing. I don't plan to address the election shit again because I don't see anything changing. I think, you know, it's Biden's got his uh, win and it's the country's going to do what it's going to do from here. And as far as this show goes... I don't feel the need to go it too much further in depth in the future about it unless something drastic happens. Now, I'm going to go from one extreme to the next because it has been suggested that I address wrestling. And specifically, AEW, All Elite Wrestling. I have been asked how I feel about them and their new video game. And, you know, the fact that it's done by Ukes, who originally did the WWE games before they let 2K take over. And also how I feel about the Young Bucks finally being tag champs and Kenny Omega getting a title shot. I'm going to go ahead and give y'all this one fucking segment where I'm going to touch on this one because nobody that's donating to the show has mandated that I have to cover this shit. But it's been asked in a few different places, so I'm going to touch on it. I am not going to buy the AEW video game. Here is why. I don't believe in putting money into a company that I do not like, do not support, do not believe in. I think it's hot, utter hot garbage. Now, that being said, I bought WWE 2K20 because I needed a wrestling game to play. And... I have my preferences and moves and entrances and stuff like that that are only going to be in a WWE game. That being said, WWE is skipping a game this year. I did not buy that new cartoony-looking bullshit. I didn't buy that shit either. 
And to be frank, I only have 2K20 because I traded in 2K19 and I really didn't pay very much to get 2K20. I traded in some games that I weren't I wasn't playing. Ultimately, it really didn't hit my pockets. I paid about $10 out of pocket. When it comes to the AEW video game, I fucking hate AEW. And some of you might get up in arms and let me just stop you by saying I don't give a shit. Okay? I find it to be the absolute worst wrestling I've ever watched. I would rather go back and watch 70s WWWF than to watch All Elite Wrestling. Okay? I hate that program because it is nothing that it was promised to be. Tony Khan made a promise that he was going to make a wrestling or a company that was going to be a sports-based presentation. Please explain to me, aside from the fact that they've been filming in a fucking stadium, where there's anything sports-based about it. This idiot actually, uh, him and his family manage football and soccer teams, and this fuckwit can't get statistics right. You can't explain to me how certain people made it into your world title tournament for example, Sonny Kiss had only had like one or two singles victories. How did he make it in the tournament? Y'all made a big thing about these fucking records when you started this company. The, these stats and wins and losses were going to mean something. In reality, they don't mean shit. And say what you want about WWE, at least they only throw a number in your face when it means something. I.e., when Asuka was undefeated, her number meant something. When The Undertaker was undefeated at WrestleMania, it fucking meant something. But they don't throw just a standing record in your face if they know a motherfucker is going to lose in the near future. I.e., no one said, you know, during any of John Cena's rise to fame after the first year, because right? I think the first year he was undefeated or whatever. But when he finally lost, he didn't go on another undefeated streak. We're like, okay, well, he had, he's got 15 wins in a row here, so we're going to give him a title shot. No. Don't tell us that that's what you're going to do and then never, ever fucking do it. The numbers don't mean shit, okay? If you're just going to randomly throw people in the title picture, fine. Just do that. Don't tell us there's a fucking record. Don't have your stats up on the website because they don't mean shit, okay? My other problems with AEW. First off... There is no star in AEW. I originally, I said that Chris Jericho was the biggest star they had, and technically that is still true, and that he's the only one of them that has any outside of wrestling recognition. And arguably, out of the people they have within that company, was the most successful while within WWE and WCW. But he's made a whole complete ass of himself. I made it clear when I did a review that I hate his fucking finisher. I can get past the shitty finisher if you make if you make it work for you. What I can't get past is someone that is a multi-time world champion being willing to work with somebody that wrestles with his goddamn hands in his pockets. And before any of you fucking Orange Cassidy fans come for me, by all means, feel free to come for me, but understand this. Wrestling is supposed to be a simulated fight. Okay, it is a contest. Please tell me at what fucking point in your life you walked up to a motherfucker with both hands in both pockets when you knew that a motherfucker was going to punch you in the face. 
you don't. It's stupid. Secondly, he's not charismatic. The bitch can't cut a promo because he barely talks, and when he does talk, he sounds drab, dull, boring, and fucking stupid. Everything he does is stupid. And for Chris Jericho to work in any form of program with someone like that and not literally just squash him within 30 seconds just kind of devalues your entire legacy. And it devalues, and it shows a point that as much as we like to say Vince McMahon is out of touch, he keeps a lot of the wrestlers' dumbass ideas in line. And see, there's the difference. The buck stops with Vince McMahon, and we all know that, but that means Vince McMahon knows that the buck stops with him, and while some stupid-ass shit takes place on WWE programming, clearly, there's there are lines where Vince won't cross. And he will tell you if he think, thinks something is stupid, he thinks something looks phony, he thinks that's too fucking fake, even for a work sport. Then you have this douchebag Tony Khan that sits over here and you can tell is the worst kind of mark because you're not even the kind of mark that tried to learn anything about booking wrestling, why angles were done the way they were done. And you've got plenty of people around you or in your company, at least working for you that should have a better idea of how wrestling works. And all of these people that I'm mentioning have worked with the biggest promoter in wrestling history, i.e. Vince McMahon, but they've also worked with the best bookers in history. So they've worked with Cowboy Bill Watts. They've worked with Dusty Rhodes. They've worked with Ric Flair. They've worked with Jim Cornette. They've worked with Paul Heyman, Jerry Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett, uh, the Von Erics. They've worked with some of these territories and companies and promoters and, and bookers that were responsible for elevating the business. You're clearly not listening to them because if you did, we wouldn't have a dumb motherfucker sitting here wrestling with his goddamn hands in his pockets. I'm going to touch on the Sonny Kiss thing too. I am only offended by Sonny Kiss because you're so stereotypical and not that talented. He has athleticism, but you chose to play a stereotypical gay gimmick. Every fucking stereotype that people think of us, and apparently, I don't know, if is Sonny Kiss supposed to be trans? I've heard some mention of this. I, apparently, JR refers to Sonny Kiss as her sometimes. I don't fucking know. I don't fucking care. If you're going to be trans, you should be in the women's division, like Nyla Rose, who is transgender. If you are not trans, JR should not be forced to call you a her. You're a man. Wrestle like a goddamn man. And wrestle seriously. Just because you're a flaming queer does not mean you shouldn't be able to fight because most flaming queers that I know can scrap when it gets down to it. You play this stupid-ass, stereotypical-ass role and this, you have these dumb-ass moves where everything you do has to emphasize your ass. I'm annoyed with you. Then you have the likes of Joey Janela, who is just the most untalented fucking douchebag. He's even worse than Orange Cassidy in the ring. But the, the, the slight benefit to him is at least the jackass doesn't wrestle with his hands in his pocket, so he's not completely retarded. As I look through the rest of this show, I see no stars. You have a world champion now in John Moxley who cannot wrestle a match inside the ring anymore. So everyone that thought, oh, well, WWE was holding Dean Ambrose down. No. You know what Vince was actually doing? Saving John Moxley from himself. Because all he can fucking do is garbage matches. All he can do is fight outside the ring. You're not a wrestler. 
It's like the moment he got away from Vince McMahon, he went back to his indie ways in the worst way possible. If you were trying to show that WWE didn't know how to use you, maybe you should do something that draws more fucking money than you ever made in WWE. And I don't give a shit what you actually make under Tony Khan. I'm talking about how much money are you bringing in? How much or how many ratings are you bringing in? How are you boosting the ratings? The answer is you're fucking not because you people have the same 700,000 fans every goddamn week. And to those that would also counter that point and say, well, NXT has the same number of fans every week. Who the fuck cares? Here's the difference. Vince McMahon is number one, undisputed. The WWE is the number one company in the world for wrestling. When you say wrestling, people either say WWF or WWE if they are somewhat of a recent fan. No one knows what the fuck AEW is unless you're looking for it. I wanted an alternative as much as anybody else. And I will maintain that I thought that the NWA for my style of wrestling was a better choice, but unfortunately isn't being run very well. So while they are apparently just now getting back to having shows, it's clear to me that Billy Corgan on his own does not know how to run a wrestling promotion and get it to a national scale where it'd be successful. He really needs some more older minds to help him get where he's trying to go. But if they get power back on, whether it's on YouTube or they manage to get a TV deal or whatever, something where I'm not having to pay to watch every fucking show every week, I will gladly watch the NWA again because I like the presentation. It was wrestling where the championship meant something, where that was the goal to be a champion, which is what the fuck the goal should be in wrestling. I think this generation of wrestler kind of took things a little too far with, you know, Shawn Michaels back in the day saying that he, you know, becoming the showstopper, the show stealer and all that shit. Okay. But Sean always was chasing a title back then too. And I think people have forgotten that little fine line. It's great to have the best match on the card, but eventually that match has to mean something. There has to be a reason behind it. There has to be stakes of some sort in it. And there's not. Back to the AW subject though. It's shit. Okay. I'm sorry. I don't like what I see. I can't bear to watch it. I'm not watching it. And I'm not watching WWE either. So don't be like, oh, well, you're a WWE fanboy. No, bitch. I'm not, I haven't watched WWE since WrestleMania. This is the last thing I watched because I wanted to see how good it was going to be. I don't agree with what either company is doing. If I were going to watch, I'd probably go watch NXT. Or I might watch some, uh, some of SmackDown at this point. Hell, there's even been a couple of high spots on Raw. I think Drew McIntyre was really good as a champion. And... I like the, the heel turn in Roman Reigns right now, and I really want to see where it goes. I might tune in, or I might just keep reading the results like I normally do. And I read the results on AEW, and it always just confirms that this is a shit show, and I don't want to watch it. I don't... Even with few pieces in AEW that I was able to like, i.e. MJF, they fucked that up already. Because if you weren't going to put the world belt on him, he shouldn't have been challenging for it this early and getting beaten clean and getting made to look stupid in the process. Like, and the whole inner circle thing and then the whole musical dinner shit. But Jericho loves to say, or, you know, the, you know, people, ex WWE stars love to say Vince is out of touch. Okay. I mean, but is Vince McMahon doing musicals? Bad musicals with people that can't actually sing these days. 
just fucking saying. And for the record, no, Jericho cannot sing either. Whole goddamn supposed rock star. I got a whole damn rock band. And Jesus fucking Christ, he sounds like himself talking, trying to sing. Not a fan. I don't think he's nearly as good now as he thinks he is. I'm not going to say he needs to retire because I think this is a call that most wrestlers need to make for themselves. But I probably wouldn't cry if he did. Um, there was more to this. Oh, the Young Bucks finally winning the title. Um, so here's the deal. I'm going to emphasize my point of Tony Khan doesn't know what the fuck he's doing because first ever encounter in a so-called dream match. And I don't know who the fuck decided this was a dream match between the Young Bucks and FTR, formerly known as the Revival. That wasn't a dream match for me because I fucking hate the Young Bucks. Every goddamn match they have is the same. It's a bunch of flips. They don't look like they can whoop anybody's ass in a fight. They have to throw 3,000 fucking super kicks in one match because one isn't enough, maybe two. So they have to devalue that. Their finisher is some variation of a fucking pile driver that they named for Dave goddamn Meltzer. And it sucks. And they suck. And I didn't give a shit about the match. I knew what they were going to do when they made the mistake of saying, well, if the Young Bucks lose, they'll never challenge for the titles again. Well, we all fucking know that these two little egotistical shits think that they are a far bigger draw than they ever actually were in any company ever. So we knew they weren't going to lose and never be able to challenge for the titles again. Here's the problem. You shouldn't have thrown that fucking stipulation out there if you were going to win, stupid. You gave away the, the ending, ultimately. And then, how do you return back to it? Because then, one of the two dipshits was injured going into the match, but you still managed to win. So, if the heels couldn't beat you after you were injured, how effective as champions are they? So now, to me, FTR has been kind of ruined. I don't give a fuck how much they go out in the ring now and how great of a match they put on. You've allowed yourself to be ruined. Because you couldn't even beat a one-legged man in a fight. Because his injury was to his damn leg. So, as far as the Young Bucks winning the titles, who the fuck cares? What do the tag titles even mean in AEW anyway? First off, your first ever tag champions were a randomly thrown together team. Something everyone criticizes WWE for doing. But AEW does it, and we're supposed to believe that this is the best thing in the world. Newsflash to everybody. I'm sorry, but AEW is like WWE lights. It's like a diet WWE with indie fuckers that don't know what they're doing. You have no direction in this company. Because the person who is the money mark that runs this shit is a money mark. He just wants to see little dumb shit. He wants to see all the flippy shit that doesn't make any sense. He has no idea what it means to book long term. You made wrestlers the executive vice presidents in your company, and you made a bunch of wrestlers who are not retired your executive vice presidents. See, it would have been different if you had picked a bunch of retired wrestlers who no longer have a stake in the game, so they're just literally doing it for the love of the business. That would have made sense. Instead, you made a bunch of active motherfuckers that are wrestlers executive vice presidents, and allow them to book themselves and wonder why you can't actually compete with Vince McMahon. 
How are you going to compete with a man that, by the way, has 40 fucking years plus of experience as a promoter? And for all his downsides, revolutionized the business, took it to heights never seen before, made wrestling a household type of thing, made certain wrestlers household names. You're not going to compete with him and that global company if you can't do something different than what he offers. Different and better. If you're doing different, i.e., you do the shit that you see the indie guys that they're doing do, but you put it on national TV. If you can't look at a motherfucker and say, you know what, you can't even string two sentences together in a promo. I should not put you on my TV and put a mic in your hand. If you can't see that you have these two little skinny little shits that are in their fucking mid-30s or something like that, that were never a draw, not in TNA, not in ROH, and not nearly what you think they are in Japan, because apparently they didn't draw shit in Japan. If you can't see that these fucking idiots should never be the cornerstone of your tag division, if you cannot see that you have Kenny Omega, who we could give a host of colorful nicknames to, and I'm going to steal one from Jim Cornette, Twinkle Toes McFinger Bang, because this dumb motherfucker has no real training, and you can tell that he has no real training. He has a little bit of athletic ability, but he has no actual wrestling training, and you could tell by the fact that he's so goddamn stupid, he has to point at the fucking ropes every son of a bitch in time before he hits them. And this is who you guys want to tell me is the best wrestling artist, which, by the way, is stupid in the world. What the fuck is a wrestling artist? Bitch, you're either a wrestler or you're an artist. Which of the fucking two are you? You really suck at both. He sucks at promos because he doesn't sound convincing. He has the stupidest little voice. He sucks in the ring because you have to point at the ropes as if to tell the crowd as if we don't know. Hey, I'm going to run over here and hit the ropes and bounce back. And you're so goddamn stupid, you actually turn your back on your opponent on a regular and no one has decided to grow a set of balls and punch you in the back of your fucking skull like what would happen in a real fight and say, hey, dumbass, stop turning your back on people. This person that you want me to believe is supposedly the best wrestler in the world is nowhere fucking close to it. This is a guy that was rejected and kicked out of a Harley race camp. One of the greatest wrestlers of all time, one of the greatest world champions of all time, kicked him the fuck out of his camp. Because he couldn't do basic shit and thought he was better than what he was. And this is who you want me to watch and, and now have to watch go up against Moxley for the world title on your December 2nd or whatever the fuck show. And I'm supposed to give two shits about either one of these two. I can almost justify Moxley even though I have a problem with him not being able to have a single match where he just stays in the ring. But then you put him against this fucking twat here, and you want me to watch this. I fucking refuse. So, to my dear brother who asked for my commentary on the Young Bucks winning the title, and to my other listeners who asked me to comment about Kenny Omega winning the, the number one contenders tournament and challenging for the title, and I, what the hell I think on AEW, I think AEW is the absolute drizzling shits. I think... That for those of us that are fans that legitimately wanted an alternative, that is the worst 
fucking alternative they could have given us. And for the record, I'd also like to point out anybody that's crowing over their numbers. They're still doing less than what TNA was doing at its peak. So, or at least somewhere in the, the ballpark. We're not going to get an alternative to WWE that is worthwhile until somebody with both the money and the fucking brains starts a company. But as far as me watching and reviewing this shit, I refuse. I absolutely refuse. I will continue to refuse. And if you pay me to do this shit, I'm going to cuss the entire goddamn review because I hate this crap. This is not wrestling the way I want to see it. And I can't even cherry pick a few segments or something out of the AEW program at this point that I can say, oh, well, this is good enough for me to watch. Or this particular person is somebody that I would tune in to watch. No, Cody Rose has even disappointed me. And I was fairly high on him. I liked Cody in WWE. I liked him even better when he was, you know, on the indies and he got his NWA title run. I went and saw him at the NWA 70th anniversary show. I went and saw that live in person and, you know, watched that two out of three falls match with him and Nick Aldis that I thought was fucking fantastic. And I'm watching him in AEW like, so did you forget every fucking thing the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, your father, you know, taught you? Did you forget everything that he'd ever done? You, or, or is the goal just to shit on everything that he ever taught you, ever did in wrestling? Like, Because if that's the goal, you're succeeding. And, I mean, sure, you could argue maybe he knows. Obviously, he knows his dad better than I do. But I'm, I, I'm just going to say that, obviously, his dad didn't do any of the dumbass shit that I've seen him do on AEW television. I mean, Dusty had a, a couple of ill-fated heel turns at certain points in WCW and WWE that were, I mean, like I said, they were ill-fated. They weren't smart. He's the American dream. Dusty Rose, nobody wanted to boo him. But that, that he wasn't booking in those cases, so that really can't even be attributed to him. And he did what he could, what he had, and did it quite a bit better than the shit that I'm watching in AEW. I will also point out this. Their women's division absolutely sucks. Um, they had a chance to do a, a lot more with their women's division. But, I mean, can anyone tell me that's not a diehard watching Japanese uh, wrestling type of fan? Can you tell me who the fuck their champion is right now? Their women's champion is? No, no, you can't. I know her name is Hikaru Shida or some shit like that. I don't know who the fuck she is. There was no build-up to it. There's nothing to really introduce her or make me give a shit. And most of their women's wrestlers are fairly sloppy. I have noticed that the NWA women's title has been defended a couple of times over there. I feel some type of way about that one because I think the NWA should stay far the fuck away from that. Again, I think this boils down to Billy Corgan not really knowing what the fuck he's doing. And how to get his company to where he wants it to be. So we're stuck with him doing a semi-partnership with AEW. But, I mean, you ended the partnership that you had with Ring of Honor. And Ring of Honor was more your style of wrestling. Now, I've taken a glance at Ring of Honor lately. And I think I might have to get a little bit back into it. The one problem I always have with Ring of Honor is 
the way that they shoot their shows, you can honestly see that the shit is fake. Like, I can see that you're not connecting. Not just I know that you're not trying to hit the person because I know wrestling's a work, but I can literally see how you missed that motherfucker by two inches and he still fell. I've had that problem a lot with ROH, but I did catch a, a glimpse of a couple of matches that I didn't see that problem in. And it's kind of intermittent with ROH, and I, you know, I, that has more of a style that I would be willing to watch than AEW. And I feel like Ring of Honor could have been and could still be something more if their owners would put more money into it, since they're owned by Sinclair. I mean, if y'all put a little effort into boosting it, put it in a more primetime slot, don't make it compete with Monday Night Raw or Friday Night SmackDown or NXT. Put it on fucking Tuesday or Thursdays and, you know, or fuck, put it on Saturdays. I don't give a shit. Long as it's in a spot that would, you know, gather it some more attention and just stay there and do your own shit, I'd probably watch Ring of Honor all the time. Uh, it, I mean, shit, if Billy Corgan wanted to, to really impress me, I mean, you really get in with Ring of Honor or something. I don't know. But I'm not watching AEW. Now, as we know, I tend to go along with something if somebody donates to me. But um, let me be clear on AEW, especially AEW pay-per-views. If you want me to watch an AEW pay-per-view, you better donate enough to cover the pay-per-view and my time. Because I hate this shit. So, because I don't, I don't, I don't believe in putting money into their pockets. If I'm going to have to put money in their pockets, there needs to be enough money coming into my pocket so that it doesn't feel like I'm putting money into their pockets. That would be my stance on AEW. As far as the Bucks winning the tag titles, we fucking knew what was coming. We, it was a shittily booked storyline. They were border, they were technically heel going into it, so it was a heel versus heel match. But you try to go babyface. So there was a baby face in the match, but you weren't the fucking baby face in the match. And it's stupid. And I, I, I frankly, I don't give a shit if the company folds. I honestly don't. I know that you're like, well, that would put a lot of wrestlers out of work. I don't give a fuck. Anymore than I give a fuck if TNA Impact folds right now either. I, same level of garbage to me. As a matter of fact, at least TNA held my interest longer because they had top names. And despite some very shitty booking by Vince Russo, there were a lot of moments that could shine through despite the shitty booking. You had Sting. You got They got Kurt Angle. Samoa Joe was on fire. AJ Styles was great even then. He just wasn't the best promo. Then you had more talent coming in. Their women's division, when they finally made it into one, kicked the shit out of WWE's women's division for like good two years there. So... But AEW can't even give me that. Like, there's there's nothing there that I want to see, and I just, I can't. I cannot. So, there. There you have it. There's my feelings on AEW, and that was a long-winded-ass segment. So, hey, this is going to be a long-ass show, apparently, because I still got stuff that I actually want to do and intend to do. Okay, now let's lighten the mood with a little less profanity here and talk about some other things that I've been asked about. So, of course, there is still the question of, am I releasing a book this year? The answer is still yes. Um, at least that's still the plan. I have still been working extensively on the edits for um, 
Lost Vengeance, which is the next book in the Dragon Hunter series, which does revisit Andreas and tells a lot about his history. I had been debating on how to get to where I needed that book to go, and I finally reached that point. So we're basically, at this point, I'm finishing up adding what I need to add and taking out a couple of things, fixing, you know, the ending to make it work for the next story. And then it's just a matter of, you know, getting my cover designed and, you know, putting the book out. I want it released on Christmas. That's the goal. No, it's not a goddamn Christmas story because I deal in Greek mythology. Why? I'm releasing it on that day just because it's a day. And hey, it's a day where a lot of y'all might have some gift cards and go buy the book. So be looking for that on Christmas. I am also, you know, still compiling a poetry book because I have a number of poems. I just don't feel like I have enough yet. So that will be in the works as well. And as well, the next book in the Coven series, I did begin writing on that. Um, I kind of restarted, but I began it, um, started over a month ago. And I'm seeing where that's going to go. There's a lot to unpack after the ending of the second book. So be a little patient on that one. Um, I had been asked to um co-write some books but i have not heard in detail what we were supposed to be working on um i have a problem apparently with getting writing partners that actually you know we stick together and actually do anything i have been trying for years now you know to you know write a book alongside some of my fellow authors that i enjoy and um you know, actually put something out and I've never been able to get it to completion. And I'm not going to say the shit's my fault because I am ready to write. Like, especially now I, you know, I have a little bit more free time, at least for the moment. And I am going to give you an update on the kid situation in a minute too. But, um, you know, currently it's just me. So I, you know, after I get off work and right now I'm only working one job, I may, you know, be end up working two, but for right now I'm only working one job. So, you know, in the evenings I have the free time to, you know, do stuff like writing and I would love to be collaborating with someone. And I understand that right now I would have to do it from a distance, but I mean, we got Facebook messenger where we can meet on video or Google hangouts or, you know, whatever the fuck other video apps, Zoom and all that shit. So like, it's not like we can't make things happen. I just need a writing partner that's actually going to stick with what the hell they asked me to do. Um, of course, you know, I, I'm going to make more time for the podcast itself as I have more topics to discuss. So... But let's go ahead and, and side saddle over to the situation with the children. Now, I don't have a whole lot of updates on that situation, but I am dealing with the fact that, you know, my middle child is still in residential. No, actually, let's go by the age numbers. So the 14-year-old is still in residential, and I just had a meeting about him today. And, you know, as they have to pursue certain options with him, but we're leaning more towards him ending up... Um, Remaining in the system, but having to age out and go into an assisted living facility because he's not really going to be able to fully function on his own as an adult. 
understandable. He does have this autism diagnosis. So right now we're trying to get, you know, things in order legally so that if it comes down to that, you know, he'll never, he'll never be lost. He'll never be just out in the streets. Um, and I am still dad. I am always dad. Uh, and despite what one of his dumbass workers said in his visual, uh, the little ad thing that they did on the news to try to, you know, get families interested in him again, I'm the only father figure he fucking knows. So, and acknowledges as dad, like that's what he calls me. So, That situation is still being worked on. Um, he is improving in some areas of his behavior. In some other areas, we still need some work. Um, and and he's autistic, and you know he has a, a traumatic history. There's always going to be some issues with you know controlling his anger and you know his response to certain situations. And some of them, I, I heard about some today that were very, uh, that were new to me. And if they had happened to me, might not have ended so well for him. But we know that, that he has a better team around him a little, as far as the residential facility he's in now, as far as, you know, working with him, understanding his diagnosis. So there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just that I will continue to parent him from a distance for, at this point. Now, of course, the question has been asked, you know, is there a possibility that I could still adopt him? Absolutely. I am at this point a kinship placement to him. I don't have to be licensed in order to adopt him. Um, and, you know, adoption can occur across state lines. So if it comes down to a point where, you know, I could handle him and, you know, he's ready to be in a regular home, yes, I absolutely could adopt him and will and have no problem doing so. But I'm also a realist and I realize the extremeness of some of his behaviors and some things that I know that I won't share here may make it impossible for him to ever be in the home with me. So I will parent from a distance. I will, you know, I still chastise the way that I, I had before. I still reward when his behavior is, is what it's supposed to be. You know, I still have discussions with him about things going on in a way that he will understand. I keep him up to date on what's going on with the family that I introduced him to. And he's still always going to be my son. Now, then that moves us to the eight-year-old. And he's the more pressing issue at the moment because he's the one that, of course... The courts refused to terminate his mother's rights and his father's too. And despite the fact that neither one of these two worthless motherfuckers ever actually do anything of substance for this child or to get him and his siblings back, they insist on keeping their rights with them. Now, when I originally made my plan to move here, the reason that I chose the timing that I did was because it coincided with the eight-year-old's and his siblings' court hearing, and he was supposed to be transitioning to his biological father. Well, that clearly didn't work out because biological father couldn't even do the one last thing that they needed him to do, which was because he lived in Illinois instead of Missouri, be available at the time that was fucking designated for a worker to come inspect your home and make sure it's safe. He couldn't do this. Well, as I 
called to check on my eight-year-old because he's still my son just as much as the other ones are. I called in, in to check on him and see how he was doing and how he was adjusting to, you know, having to switch schools and all that. And I'm told that he may be moved because his behaviors are so extreme and his current foster father, who was the same foster father that had him before me, just was not prepared to deal with the extremeness of certain behaviors that I have been dealing with for a year and a half. Even asked me, you know, how did you do it? Do you really want me to answer that? I like there I lost my, you know, patience a few times, but it was a work in progress. You know, I had to learn or figure out the way to get him, you know, to calm down when he's throwing his tantrums. And when, you know, there's a difference between the tantrum that's literally just, I'm trying to get out of trouble real quick, but I'm actually not really elevated versus I've elevated myself to a point where I can no longer rationalize and you have to work to calm him down. And I understand the difficulty, obviously, of dealing with these particular behaviors, and I don't fault his foster father in this one, but it is disheartening that I haven't even been gone a month, or actually, I've just now been gone a month. He's just been away from me for 30 days, and already he's going to have to be moved, and I don't know where he'll be moving to, because last I checked, his idiot father hadn't done shit, and his mother still hasn't contacted her child in, uh, what are we at? Eight months now? Eight months. But she wants to maintain her legal rights to her children, but hasn't contacted neither one of the five in eight months. But okay. So I am looking into my options as far as the eight-year-old because what I really need is for the courts to go ahead and move towards termination of rights. And if they can move towards adoption, I can return, you know, to get him and adopt him as well. And I'm already accustomed to him. And a large part of the problem that I would see now that his current foster father is having is, let's face it, he's gotten used to me. And, you know, I explained as best that I could to an eight-year-old that I did not leave him behind because I really wanted to. I had to go and had already put things in place when I thought he'd be moving to his dad that I could no longer back out of and I was not allowed to take him with me. Because trust me, if I could have, I would have. Like I asked. And, you know, it, it wasn't a possibility at this point. Um, but as he and his siblings are entering, you know, year three of being in care, at some point, the judge has to realize that things are not going to change and they're going to have to move towards adoption as the goal instead of reunification, at which point I've already requested that I be first in line to adopt him anyway. So I'm essentially at this point making plans to make space for my eight-year-old to return to me first. Now, if you were going to ask me about the 17-year-old, I don't have much to give you. Um, he still calls himself being mad at me because he doesn't get to run my house, and I still don't give a shit. Sorry, but um, he can continue to throw his little tantrum if he wants to uh, and, you know, call himself distancing from me. Obviously, you know, in the long run, he's hurting himself more than he's hurting me. You know, I have my life together. <laughs> I have, I'm an adult. I have my own place. I have my own car. I have my own children aside from him. 
I have, you know, a lot of things going on. So my thing with him was, you know, it was, I was trying to get you to a point of, of stability and I tried in, in different ways. I tried, you know, continuing to raise you myself. I tried to make sure before I left that you would have a suitable home. So I gave them ample notice before I planned on leaving. I even tried to get you in independent living and none of that worked out for you. So, I mean, as far as I know, I know the general area that he's that I was told he's in right now, but I'm pretty sure that's what a friend and he's kind of just couch surfing at this point. And more than likely, he's just using an address in, in a, that area that belongs to his cousin, but he's probably not actually staying there full time. Again, that's his choice. He's 17. And now he, you know, since he was determined to uh, be an adult, now he gets to live with the consequences that making adult decisions that you didn't comprehend come with. So I haven't heard from him aside from the last time he asked me for a phone number for my god sister because he needed a job again. And I'm guessing that means he lost the job that he was so adamant on, you know, going to that was going to be the one because it supposedly paid more and blah, blah, blah. Yep. Looks like he lost that joint. I don't know anything more than that. How he will do from here on as far as his court cases, I don't know anything about that one either. I haven't talked to him, and there's no reason that his workers would let me in on that legality, and he can't come fucking stay with me. And if the shit hits the fan for him down there, there's really no point in him calling, asking, well, Pops, can I come stay with you? Because the answer is hell the fuck no, because you didn't know how to listen when I had you the first time. So, that is the update on the kids. Um... I will update more as things change, especially with the little one. And if placements change or kids are back in the home, I'm definitely will give updates on that one. But we're going to move on now. Now, I like to flow from subject to subject, and this one's going to be a little random. I told you this show's going to run a little long, so y'all just going to have to bear with me. It probably isn't even going to be my longest show, but it's going to run a little long this time regardless. So... There was a topic that I had been suggested that I had thought up or suggested or whatever about um, being the friend that everyone comes to for advice. So, and I'm going to elaborate a little bit more on this particular subject. Why I feel, you know, felt like talking about it. Why I'm so aggravated with being this damn friend. And some advice to people who use me as, uh, who see me as this friend for what not to fucking bother me with. So this come, this topic came to mind because I had a particular friend who, long story short, has this uh, almost, almost like an unconscious desire to just involve herself with the most toxic men ever. And just keep herself in the most toxic situations. Now, they're not always the level of toxic of being physically abusive, but they are toxic in that I, at least one of them is kind of mentally abusive, possessive, jealous, uh, an asshole, um, indecisive, so on and so forth. And I had given advice. See, let me circle back a little bit here. I am, by and large, 
friends with mostly like females. All my friends are females. I have a couple of, of exceptions to that rule, but pretty much most of my friends are, are female. And I'm always the only guy in the group. So sometimes this means I get called upon to give, you know, to be asked, well, how does a guy's brain work in this instance or something along those lines? Okay. So here's my thing. If you describe a situation to me and I'm telling you, okay, this, this particular individual that you are insistent upon being involved with really ain't shit and you should let him go. And I give you a detailed reason why. Now, I'm not saying that you have to follow everything that I say, but I am saying this. If I've had to tell you this shit three, four, five, six fucking times, I'm tired of talking to you. I am tired of giving your dumb ass advice because your dumb ass clearly ain't listening. You were determined to do what the fuck you gonna do. So, I got irritated with this particular friend, and then when I add on to the fact that this bitch just can't take advice, cannot take advice that you ask for, and continually finds herself in these dumbass situations involved with these worst men that she can find, like the it's almost like she must be praying a prayer to say, God, please send me worse. Bless me with worse, oh Father, because they keep getting progressively worse. But then you'll get a halfway decent one, but this one is too honest for you, too upright, and you know, too willing to do things the right way and they don't move fast enough for you sexually or emotionally or whatever the fuck. And before anyone jumps in, it's like, well, everybody moves to different places. Okay, look, bitch, you've known him for two weeks. Like, give the man some fucking time. If he's trying to be a gentleman and court you, then let the motherfucker court you and shut up. Because then you turn around and the next thing I know, all of a sudden I get a, I see a status or a message or something talking about, well, niggas ain't shit. No, just the ones that you fuck with that you actually like ain't shit, but the ones that actually are worth something you don't want to deal with. In addition to this, I'm also the friend that is the spiritual friend that does the tarot readings. I have a thing with the tarot readings and I want everybody that has had a tarot reading from me to understand a couple of things with me and tarot readings. First off, I don't charge for my tarot readings, unlike some other people, because I don't, while I, my readings have, have proven to be fairly accurate most of the time, I don't feel confident enough to charge for my services yet, because I really only do them with people that I feel comfortable connecting to. This being said, if I am close to you, friendly with you, whatever the fuck, and I don't gave your ass two readings and two of them readings have said virtually the exact fucking same thing, giving you the exact same piece of information fairly directly, not indirectly, but directly giving you the same exact piece of information telling you what the fuck you need to do and you choose not to do it, you are now irritating my immortal soul. And as such, I refuse to give your dumb ass a tarot reading anymore after this. And tarot includes oracle decks too. I ain't giving your ass not nan damn reading. If you can't follow what the fuck you, you asked me, you asked the deck the question or whatever, I've given you two separate readings weeks apart from each other. And they both circle around and tell you the exact same thing at the end that you and this particular friend's case is that you need to take time to yourself to grow as a woman specifically. It tells her this shit that you're doing is toxic. It's not helping. You need to take time away from this shit so that you can heal, grow as a woman, and then circle back around to what you want. And your dumbass keep doing the same shit. I'm not giving you any more readings. 
I'm also not giving you any more advice, because now at this point, I'm fucking done talking to you. Not as in I'm never going to associate with you, but I'm done talking about your relationship woes. Come sick of hearing them. I don't want to hear how the, the men that you fuck with ain't shit. No, 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 because it's just the men that you fuck with that you choose to fuck with, because you keep choosing to fuck with the same ain't shit ones. I don't want to hear it. Furthermore, I've had to teach myself this, but it would make my life easier if people would avoid asking me or telling me certain shit. If I see in the course of a conversation that you were lying to your motherfucking self, but you were very insistent upon this lie, it becomes taxing to continue the conversation with you, so I'm no longer going to do so. What do you, and if you're asking yourself, what do I mean by this? I will give an example. If you sit here and make a statement such as, I don't do that toxic bullshit. Once I'm done, it's, it's a wrap or any variation of something along those lines. But I'm sitting here looking at your ass in the most toxic situation. You got a motherfucker here that's, that literally thinks he's supposed to be the most important thing in your life above your children and every motherfucking thing else. He is supposed to be the center of your goddamn universe. And if anything else comes before, before him, he throws a whole tantrum like he's a goddamn toddler. But it's an adult tantrum where he calls you out your name and makes basis accusations of shit. But you still with his dumb ass. But you swear that you ain't about that toxic bullshit. I'm going to ignore you. Because you are clearly on the toxic bullshit. And I don't have time. Because you've now chosen to be in the toxic bullshit. So at that point, I'm going to quietly withdraw myself from the conversation because I hear a whole bunch of hypocrisy and bullshit here and you're lying to yourself and I'm not going to entertain your lie. I'm not going to cooperate and corroborate your lie. No, 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 no. I'm just going to go ahead and go over here and let you figure out why the fuck I suddenly stopped talking in this conversation. Just being real, if a situation is toxic and you choose to go back to it, after you've had your removed, yourself removed from it for an extended period of time, you like that shit. Don't lie. Don't say that you don't like toxicity, because you do. And, you, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to continue to be the friend that uh, talks to you about other shit other than the toxic bullshit you're in. Add to that. Being the friend that people come to for advice, I'm also the friend that people come to for a solution to their fucking problems. Here's my other issue. If you have inserted yourself into a toxic situation, i.e., you've gotten back with a toxic motherfucker that you knew was toxic before you got back with him, nothing about him had changed, and you've been through this song and dance before, so he'll say... This, you know, once you've left him, he'll come in and he'll talk all the sweet nothings in your ear and he'll gift you with flowers and chocolates and whatever the fuck else your heart desires that would sway you over to his side. But this has been done before. And the last time it happened, the motherfucker spent after you got back with him about, I don't know, a month, two, three months, whatever the fuck later, he's right back to the same toxic bullshit. Don't ask me to come solve this problem when he reverts back yet again now that you've gotten with him yet again. Don't ask me to ever come help you with that situation. I don't want to hear, well, 
he's threatening me or he don't call me out my name or can can I come stay with you? Hell no. You like that toxic shit. Stay your ass over there in it. Do not involve me in it. Furthermore, I'm piggyback off that too. If you deal with a motherfucker and y'all going through something, but there's even the slightest possibility of you getting back with that dumb motherfucker, don't tell the rest of us what you've been going through. You may ask why. Here's why. Because you forgave this dumb motherfucker. We didn't. I don't forgive. So you don't told me how this man don't went crazy. He don't threaten you. Don't put you out the house. He don't done this. He don't done that. And now you back with the dumb motherfucker and you expect me to be like, oh, I'm so happy. for you. No, bitch, I'm not happy. Fuck you and fuck him too. This is as the friend that always has to give the advice and also has to come in and step in to solve your problems. Meaning, if motherfucker puts his hands on you, who the hell are you going to call? Me. Now, I, I'm not going to go to jail. I'm not going to go to jail for a situation in which you put yourself back into it. So, if I got to come to the house and, 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 and you know, smack the shit out of you, significant other one good time or whatever, after the first time, I ain't doing it no more. If I'm getting the calls, the complaints about, oh, he cheated on me and all, oh, he did this, he did that, he he talks to me this way and he just, he doesn't want me to have a life and blah, 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 and then you back with his ass, I don't care anymore. I do not give one French fried titty fuck at all because you like this shit. So ultimately, as the friend that people turn to for advice, here is my request of all the people that turn to me with this shit. Keep your toxic bullshit away from me. Do not ask me for relationship help, guidance, advice, none of that shit that you ain't going to fucking take. If you know that the situation don't feel right to you, but you're going to stick with this shit, keep me the fuck out of it. Don't tell me whatever your man is doing wrong. I don't want to know about it because, again, you're not mad after you've forgiven him, but I'm still mad. You don't tell your family or friends what's going on in your personal relationship and then get back with the motherfucker. Now, I'm not meaning the minor shit like, oh, it, it irks the fuck out of you that he leaves the toilet seat up. I don't give a fuck about that. Nobody gives a fuck about that. That's just regular shit. I'm talking about that highly toxic and destructive shit that goes on that should be a, a deal breaker, a relationship breaker, and you telling us about it, and we all trying to be supportive, and then you go right back to the motherfucker. No, 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 no. My sympathy runs fucking dry. I don't care anymore. I am not going to reach into my deepest thoughts and, and, you know, reach out spiritually trying to find an answer to, to your problems. When it ultimately the answer is this, you know what the fuck you got yourself into, politely get yourself the fuck out of it. It's a very simple process, very simple concept. Most of you bitches don't understand this yet. And then you tell me I'm acting funny. When all of a sudden I don't want to talk anymore. Or I don't talk the same way anymore. But what the fuck do we have to talk about? I don't want to hear about your dude. Because he's toxic. And ain't no use in me getting upset in my own damn home over some shit that's not going to change. And for those that don't have one particular one. 
but can't seem to find one. First off, let's be clear on something. Bitch, I'm single too. But the difference between me and certain friends that I have is I am single by choice because I know what the hell I want. And if I'm not finding what I want, then I move on fairly quickly. I have a very low patience and low tolerance for bullshit. So that means if I catch somebody in a motherfucking lie one time, that's probably enough at this point in my life to ixnay all romantic feelings towards them. If... Um... I know what type of qualities would appeal to me in a partner. And until I find them, I'm good with being single. And I'm quick to shut people off. And any hint of toxicity, any hint that reminds me of some of the shit that I've been through already that I'm just like, you know what? I, I see signs that you're going to do the same type of shit and I'm not, I'm not going to deal with this. I leave. I don't sit there and put up with it. I don't put myself in situations anymore where... I'm not in a relationship, but somebody wants to act like we're in a relationship and wants to be possessive of me like we're in a relationship, but then will remind me that we're not in a relationship. I don't have an issue with letting go of anybody from my past because I've let them all go. All of my exes have been let go, all of them. There's only two of them that I will still talk to on a semi-regular basis, and it's normally just kind of friendly conversation. One of them I'm legitimately friends with. But as far as the more toxic ones, we don't speak. So unlike certain friends that I have that will deal with the most toxic bastard ever, the type of, of motherfucker that wants to be possessive and controlling over you, wants to make demands over your time, but you're not actually with someone that wants to own you, but also wants you to bring friends home for him too. That's the type of shit I'm not going to deal with and I'm not going to advise you over. And then I'm going to add this in there too. I did a podcast with a friend of mine on her show where we spoke about polygamy and polyamory and all that. And my advice was that if that you know that this shit ain't for you. So that means if you that type of friend that, that gets that decides that it's like a, some kind of badge of honor that a couple has approached you and um wants you to join their relationship, but you know your stupid ass is actually the monogamous type, I'm not the friend to come to for advice. Because I'm not going to egg you on and be like, hey, well, go ahead and give it a try. My thing is this. You know you. Polyamory ain't for everybody. Now, the polyamorous people may disagree with this, but I would say, shut fuck up, this ain't your show. My thing is this. If you are not emotionally capable of handling that shit, you know this shit ahead of time. Don't try to make yourself go into a situation, a polyamorous relationship like that, knowing you can't really handle it. You are too jealous. You're only really attached to one of the two people. And you'll get jealous if the one that you're attached to seems like they're spending more time with the other one for some reason. Or just spending time in general. Or is having sex with that one and not you. Or any of that. Polyamory ain't for you. You're a monogamous person. Sit your ass over your monogamous lane and, and do some fucking soul searching and figure out what the hell you really want. And don't 
come to me expecting me to egg your dumb ass on into a situation that's going to be disruptive. However, at this point, I'm also probably just going to tell you, do what you want to do, but you already know how it's going to end. Because what you're not going to say is that I fucked up your life. If I say do what you want to do, that means I think what you're doing is fucking stupid, but you're going to do it anyway, so I'm not going to waste my breath giving you a detailed explanation. Okay. I needed to vent that, because I have been having problems with these type of friends, again. And I thought that I had reached a point in my life where I was too old to deal with these type of motherfucking friends, but apparently they never go away. And for those of you that are like me, that are the friend that is more of an empath and you feel the need to reach out and help and give advice and try to guide people, know your limits. When you have read, allow yourself to reach your limit. So if you have these types of situations where you know you are getting really frustrated and you're actually taking more of their energy and and, and problems on than you really should step your ass back detach yourself ground yourself and learn how to turn people away set your boundaries especially if you are legitimately an empath set your damn boundaries because you cannot keep taking on these friends emotions and emotional instability and also dealing with whatever you got going on And this is something that I have to remind myself of, which is part of the reason that I added it to this podcast and this hodgepodge of topics that I am discussing today, because it needed to be said for me. And I'm sure somebody out there needs to hear a similar thing, because somebody else is probably going through something similar too. And especially those that are, you know, like I said, legitimate impasse where you read the emotions of others too easily and take too much of it into yourself give yourself some space even from friends and family i know that you love them and i know that you really want to see them happy bitch sometimes you gotta you know step back and, and let them know okay well you got to find that happiness within yourself because i can't do that for you and this is too much for me and i need to go sit over here and decompress that's my recommendation and that's my advice to my goddamn self. So also, you know, if you happen to be one of those friends and you're wondering why I'm suddenly acting a little bit different, I might be a little bit distant or I might have just kind of stopped in the middle of a conversation talking to your ass. This is why, because you're doing some stupid ass toxic shit and I'm sick of your shit and I don't want to talk to you about it. So I just stop talking and I'll bounce back when there is another subject that isn't about your toxic bullshit. Okay, just just. Throwing that out there, if you felt some type of way about the statement, we're 50 episodes into this podcast. By now, you should know. I don't give a fuck. I said what I said, and I meant what I said. And now we're going to move on. Okay. Now, finally, I get to get into the topic that was kind of suggested to me because I watched a movie um yesterday and after ending the movie i had to call my best friend who you guys know as kit and discuss said movie because there was just so much to this movie now i want to point out 
Um, a couple of things with me and movies when I'm at home and randomly watching shit on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Specifically, when I choose to watch the LGBTQ whatever the fuck movies. Okay? For me, this is my opinion, so feel free to disagree, but this is my show, so I'm going to give it. Um, these movies fall into a couple different categories. Now, most of them are cons- com- you know, comparably low budget, right? But there is like film school law budget, low budget, and then there's just like you know usual Hollywood low budget that just won't get it to uh, you know a big movie screen or whatever, but it's still decently shot, right? And so you have the ones that are like the complete drizzling shits that are too cheap, too phony in the script, too badly written for me to finish. Normally, these are any of the ones that involve anything supernatural that they really didn't have the budget to actually do the shit. It's like a cheesy ass storyline. Sometimes I can make it when I'm. They're just, and I mean, they can be subtitled, so they might be a foreign film, or they can be over here and just be really, really badly done. Then they're the ones that are extremely shitty, but are funny to me enough to watch it and laugh. Then they're the ones, the rare ones, that are just really, really good and or thought-provoking. Now, yesterday, I decided it was bad movie day. So I was going to go watch some of the shit that was in my Amazon Prime video uh, uh, watch list that I added because it fell into a category, but I was, you know, pretty sure that it may or may not, or it's more likely to be a shitty movie or weird. And I've come across some weird shit, and I can go into some of the weird shit. But this movie that I want to talk about is a little different. This one was better than I thought it would be but confusing as fuck. So I'm going to do my best to run through this movie. I'm going to tell you at the start here, this title of this movie is Steel, S-T-E-E-L, Steel, you know, like the, the metal. Um, it is an LGBT movie, so for my heteros who are not overly comfortable with watching that, I mean, the, the sex scenes are very tasteful, but it is what it is. Um... It was released in 2015, and again, I found this on Amazon Prime. I do not know if this is on Netflix. I found it on Amazon Prime, so this is where I recommend to go to watch it. And it was listed as a bit of a drama, right? But a lot of these movies are listed as dramas, and they're still shitty. So I'm going to give you a rundown of this movie and try to explain to best of my ability why I like this movie, but even though I ended this movie with questions. So the movie focuses around a guy named Daniel. Daniel is, at the start of the movie, a successful like TV talk show host that seems very confident, clearly closeted. Um, like, yeah, because I knew going into this that he wasn't going to be hetero, so he's a bit of a closet case. That happens in these, so I'm, I'm not too disturbed by that at all. Um, but 
he's uh, you know he's uh doing his talk show he is has a female producer that he's very close to and you know another male coworker or whatever and he's just scored this huge interview with some kind of military person that did, had some kind of arms deal that he's getting charged with or some shit like that some big scoop right and He's the only person that's able to get this interview since this military person has gotten charged. And the condition on it is that the, the interview itself has to be live. It cannot be taped, which is how a show is normally done. His producer has to pull a bunch of strings to get this to happen. But, you know, he's, he's confident she can make it happen. We flip after, you know, past that and we go to daniel is in a park going for a jog okay seems kind of normal comes to an area in a park that's like in kind of a wooded area and he seems to start having a bit of a panic attack like something about this area just doesn't click with him he don't like it he, it doesn't work for him he's not feeling it okay i i see the signs that to me scream panic attack and i'm like okay and I'm going to give you my thoughts as I was going through this. So at this point in the movie, I'm like, okay, is he one of those that is a survivor of molestation or rape? And it happened in this type of area, maybe. Keep that question in mind, because it's going to be a while before I get to any kind of answer. Follow with me. But he runs back to his car, gets in there. He's still kind of having a panic attack. He reaches for a candy bar out of his glove compartment. I'm thinking, okay. Maybe he also has like diabetes or something. So maybe it was less a traumatic response and more his sugar got too low because he hadn't eaten all day. Okay, so um, he gets notification that uh, the producer has done what she what he asked her to do and has gotten the station to agree to doing this interview live and he's good. They go to... Uh, he meets them at some bar, nightclub, or whatever to celebrate, get champagne, and all that stuff. It's not a gay club. This is more of a hetero bar or a mix of people bar, which is fine. One particular person in the crowd stands out, but he's fairly young looking. Now, I began to get a little uneasy at this point because said young looking person is clearly, like, as, as he walked past, is like, Says something along the lines of, hey, I really like you or something. So he's like showing an abnormal amount of interest. And I'm like, oh, crap, is this kid going to be some kind of weird young ass stalker? He brushes it off, goes. He begins to have another panic attack, though. Like, okay, like, is your diabetes is bad? Because, again, he leaves um, and he goes directly for a candy bar. And then he drives home. Okay, so I'm interested. I'm intrigued enough because now I want to know what the hell is is causing all of this well the interview is only like a day or two away and he's not entirely stable but you know his producer's really confident and thinks okay you know he's going to nail this right so he gets there general gets there they haven't been able to get hold of him all day he comes in late but he's ready to do the interview but he chokes a couple of minutes in, begins to have a panic attack, leaves. Again, this is on live TV. So this is kind of killing off his career a little bit here. So his co-worker has to step in and complete the interview for him. And he rushes home. 
rushes home, locks himself in. He's clearly having like a, a huge scale panic attack. Like he's having trouble getting in this building. He lives in one of those high pricey ass buildings where you have to have a key to let you in the front door and a key to let you into your actual apartment. And, you know, he goes in and, you know, locks himself in the apartment and he's having his meltdown. He's reaching for the candy bar, but this time he doesn't do it. I'm like, okay, so this isn't completely food related. It must just be a comfort thing to him. But I still don't understand what's setting him off. And it takes a long time to begin to sort of understand this. But I'm not going to skip too far ahead. So, of course, the producer and a co-worker come and check on him. Like, dude, what the hell happened? You just ran out on the interview. Like, what's wrong? What, what can we do to help? They're like, do we need to call an ambulance? He's panicking. Like, no, don't call an ambulance. Call an ambulance. I'm calling police, blah, blah. Gets them to leave him alone. But he also, you know, in the heat of the moment, kind of quits the show because... I mean, he's in the midst of, of a full-fledged panic. and But he does leave and tries to go to a bar attempting to, you know, pick up someone, you know, to satisfy him for the night, which, for the record, early on in the movie, you do see him have a one-night stand with a guy, and he tells him as soon as they're done that he can feel free to leave, basically. Like, it, that's all it was. Very rudely. But this is relevant to the, the plot at this point. So it gets to the bar. This same young kid, youngish looking kid, and I'm going to call him a kid because I, uh, how old I am, I'm, I'm in my 30s, and this this child looks like a guy. He, he's a teenager. He's definitely a teenager, like, and to me, he looks like a kid. So I wouldn't have necessarily been willing to because he just looks so young. Um... But the kid follows him, like, you know, he goes to the bathroom to wash his hands. The kid, like, comes up behind him and, like, is getting real familiar with him. Kid's name is Alexander. I'm going to go ahead and say that now so we can get this established. Um, I will also say that, to me, there are some similarities in how the two look and that Daniel has, like, a really dark blonde, brownish blonde hair or whatever. And, um... Alexander's hair is blonde, kind not as dark, and I had a suspicion at this point, but I was willing to see where this goes. Now, he brushes the kid off because he asks the kid how old is the kid says, well, I'm 18, and he's like, yeah, go home to your mom, and he leaves, and I'm thinking this is going to be the end of this. This is not the fucking end of this, and this is where shit goes a little left and why I got a little more hooked into this movie because now I need answers. So... He gets home, and Alexander basically shows up on his doorstep. No, not at the, that night. Um, he comes home that night, and he just he's by himself. But later on, the next day or whatever, he tries to go out for a run, and he only makes it so far before the panic starts to set in again, and he's coming back home. As he's coming into his building... Alexander shows up and he's like, well, how the hell do you know where I live? Alexander's like, I technically followed you home the other night. Um, which is creepy. And I'm like, okay, so is my stalker theory correct? Because he just kind of appeared out of nowhere. Um, but Daniel, to his credit, goes into the building, closes the door behind him so it locks, and goes up to his apartment. But by the time he gets to his apartment... Gets a knock at the door, Alexander's at his door. And I'm like, okay, the fuck, bro? So, of course, he asks, how did you get in the building? And Alexander just says, well, I have my ways. Now, 
Alexander is very pushy, like trying to get to know him, what he likes about his past, so on and so forth. And it's weird, but I'm still kind of intrigued. Now, I will go ahead and say that as far as I know, the kid is actually 18. So technically, none of this is pedophilia or illegal. It just, I, for my own personal preferences, when in dealing with partners, I don't deal with anybody that young. Especially when they look that young, too. Like, it just makes me feel old. Um, but, whatever. So, one thing leads to another, they have sex. It, it takes a while to get to that point. He's trying to... I should throw out here. He's trying to help Daniel, it seems. Like, he's trying to get him to eat, or... Um, whatever. So, then, sex is apparently a bit of a release for Daniel. But... At the same time, after they're done, and Daniel is, I don't know if he's having a little remorse or what, but he basically tells Alexander he needs to leave. And Alexander kind of explodes on him. A bit of a childish temper tantrum, I guess a, a slight sign of immaturity, storms out. Okay, you think this is going to be the end of this? And then I'm wondering, because the description to this movie didn't give you very much detail. So I'm just like, is this going to lead to like a statutory rape charge or some shit? Like, what is this? Well, no, it doesn't, but the next day, Alexander returns and acts like, you know, I mean, he's, like, happy again, and, like, he didn't get mad at all the, the previous day, and he's trying to talk Daniel into going out, but that doesn't work, and, um, I mean, there's more of the, the, the sex, and I will again state that the sex is tastefully done. You can't really see anything. It's just the motions and the romanticized version of it and all that shit. So, it, you know, this isn't a porno. It's not like you're going to be watching a gay porn. It's nothing like that. It's not that raunchy. But it has its moments. So, Alexander's back, and Daniel's like, what the fuck, but I mean, eventually gives in anyway. And eventually Daniel has to try and go out and get food. He realizes he's out of food. Well, he has a panic attack at the moment he gets into the grocery store and people start talking to him. So that doesn't work. So then he decides to order his groceries, which makes sense. My okay, is he like a recovering person that suffers from agoraphobia or whatever? And he just, it's re reoccurring and he doesn't want to go outside. What the hell is this? You're going to hear that question quite a bit as I do this review. Um, I'm going to move it along. But Alexander keeps coming around. And each time he comes around, he's prodding for information. Where do you come from? Where are you really from? Where did you grow up? Um, is this always what you wanted to do? Or did you ever come out to your parents? Like, he's asking a lot of questions that are genuine good questions to probably ask someone but it's just weird because he's so damn young and sometimes so immature but at the same time very overly mature like he's still supposedly in high school and you know has to be home by a certain time he's never there um again at night after the first time um you know he has curfews and stuff like that which is weird to deal with when daniel was like 29 so was 11 years older, at least. Um, so as time goes on, you know, he's, Alexander is trying to get Daniel to do normal stuff. 
So he finally gets him, you know, convinces him to go for short walks and he manages not to have a panic attack. And he's opening up this kid a little bit more and telling him more. And eventually he does tell him that, you know, he grew up on a farm, which Alexander finds funny because he's like, I can't picture you in overalls and suspenders and, you know, the stereotypes. Um, Then, you know, as Dando gets a little bit closer to him, you know, he has a moment where he doesn't like where the delivery guy brings him for his groceries. He brings him the wrong kind of pickles or some shit. And he decides he needs to go to the grocery store himself. He's feeling a little bit more confident, but he wants Alexander to go with him. Alexander technically needs to go home, uh, supposedly, you know, has to be home in time for supper or whatever. And, but he, relents and goes to the store with him so that he can do his quick little grocery shopping but the next day comes back and is mad because he got in trouble and got grounded because he was late for dinner and at first daniel is you know trying to just tell him you know go back to you know go back home you know your mom is just worried about you she cares about you and Alexander kind of blows a bit of a gasket because he says it's entirely Daniel's fault because Daniel can't do anything without him. And at this point, it's getting a little personal, a little touchy, and a little hurtful. Like, he distinctly basically tells Daniel, you can't do shit without me. You know, you can't even go outside for a walk or go to the grocery store if I'm not with you. You insisted on me going, and now I'm in trouble and they get into this big argument and then, you know, Alexander's asking him, why don't you go do anything? Why won't you go back to work? W- you know, why can't you answer questions? And so on and so forth. They, they get into this big thing and Daniel eventually just comes out and says, because I don't fucking want to do anything. Like, okay, we're getting somewhere here. We're getting somewhere here. I'm still trying to diagnose this motherfucker because I'm trying to figure out what, which disorder, how many disorders do you have? Which disorder is this? Because I see anxiety, I see trauma, I see motherfucker. I don't know what the fuck I see. But I'm like, okay, there's some shit going on here. And I don't feel like, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out here now. At this point in the movie, I'm like, there's something different about Alexander. I don't feel that he's entirely normal or human. Like, I'm like, or that he's supposed to be there. I, I mentioned the, the similarity to me and their appearances because I was wondering fairly early on, was this kid like him from the past sent forward in the future to teach him a lesson? Cause I've seen some shit like that before in the movie. Like, is this one of those things? Is this like some kind of guardian angel? Is this some kind of otherworldly being? Is this a figment of his imagination? Is this whole damn thing a dream? What the fuck is this? And in the course of this particular fight that they're having, all of a sudden it changes after Daniel has his thing and you know they call it you know, call each other names or whatever. All of a sudden now it switches to Alexander saying, Do you want to fuck me? As if that's what's as if he knows that'll get the argument to stop, which it does, which is weird because it works. Why does this work? Like, not in the in a sense of how does it work in the story, but why does this actually get Daniel to stop yelling at him? And why does this calm both of them down? Why are they why who does this in the middle of an argument and asks like do you want to fuck me just just in the middle of yelling at each other it's weird 
but it works. I mean, it's not the most passionate scene afterwards. It's kind of rough, but then it gets a little tender at the end where you, they have a little discussion. And then he, uh, Daniel, you know, tells Alexander again, he needs to go home and talk to his mom. Cause he's apparently run away or whatever. Cause he felt she was being a bitch. And Alexander tells him he will agree on one condition. And the condition is that Daniel must take him to the farmhouse he grew up in. Okay. So now we've gotten to the heart of the issue here. Go to the house. Daniel doesn't want to go in. House is boarded up, says for sale, but it's like in a wooded area. Like it's boarded up. It's covered up. Like clearly no one's lived in this house for a while. Alexander goes in the house. And I also, again, the question of what is Alexander comes up because he, within like 20 seconds, gets from the front door upstairs to a bedroom window and is like, was this your room? Okay, so Daniel goes in and now we get a flashback and we get a little explanation. So I'm going to give this. Um, Daniel's flashback is, is of himself as a younger child, a very young child, I mean, but probably about eight or so. Yeah, he's about eight years old. Um, I guess he had another little friend over, who I'm also going to state was blonde-haired. Never heard the name. But, um, I guess they were experimenting with each other, you know, just kind of feeling on, you know. It kind of, is, it's not exactly abnormal for children you know to get some alone time and try to explore in this way well because it's a boy his sister is looking through the keyhole for some weird ass reason and goes and tells his parents his mom doesn't have think this is as big of a deal but his dad is clearly a fucking homophobe because he decides to gather the family into the car well gather mom and and daniel in the car and they need to go see a doctor and i'm and the mom is like, I don't think he needs to go see a doctor and you're overreacting. Dad is like, oh, no, he needs to go to a doctor because he's sick and blah, blah, blah. And Daniel is in the back throwing a tantrum. Kicking the seat. I don't need to go to a doctor. There's nothing wrong with me. I don't want to go to a doctor. I don't want to go. He's screaming, screaming, screaming. Dad turns around like, he stopped kicking my seat and he's, you know, about to discipline him. And he runs into the side of a truck. Dad goes flying through the windshield and dies on impact. Mom is covered in glass and stuff and blood. Daniel was covered in blood. And here comes the trauma piece of this. Mom, apparently, she's talking to him, trying to get him to stay awake. But she only lives for about 30 minutes herself. Daniel, of course, survives. So we have some survivor's remorse. Okay. I'm getting a little bit of that. I'm getting that we have some unresolved issues here. Still not entirely clear what the fuck triggered this shit earlier, but, you know, while he was in the interview or while he was running in the... Well, the park I kind of got because it's in the same type of wooded area as his home, childhood home was. But the rest of it, not entirely sure why it continued on and spiraled the way it did. So he's having a breakdown as he goes through all this. Alexander suddenly appears at his side. He's like, where were you? Fine. They leave. Get in the car. He explains to Alexander what happened. And then remarks that, you know, as they're driving, it's so easy to 
veer off onto the other side of the road when you're driving. All you have to do is look away for a second, and then he starts to kind of ease the car over to the left, to the wrong side of the road. Well, Alexander just listens, and then he gently grabs the steering wheel and says, that's enough, we're not trying to die, and they go back onto the right side of the road. Okay. So now that he's had this little mini breakthrough, he goes and sees his aunt, who I forgot to mention earlier in the movie, called him when he stormed off the show trying to check on him. He didn't, he refused to respond to anyone that called him, honestly, but he wouldn't respond to her. So he goes and sees her in person, has a talk with her, and he hasn't spoken to his sister, his older sister, and she tells him, you know, sister's having a baby, she misses him too, and he says that I don't blame her anymore obviously for his parents' death, because as an eight-year-old, his mind kind of would go, well, if she hadn't told mom and dad, we wouldn't have been in the car. Aunt asks, well, do you still blame yourself? He never fully answers that question. Okay, clearly he does. I'm going to leave that up to interpretation, whether you would consider that his fault. He's eight. So I, I find it a little hard to blame him, and his dad was kind of an asshole. Um, Lee's aunt's house starts getting his life back together, Alexander tells him about a grocery store as when they went to the store before Daniel remarked that he only get buys things that are on the periphery, like at the edge of the aisle. And then he leaves because he doesn't want to go all the way down each aisle. So Alexander basically tells him, well, I know a, the, a grocery store that will allow you to get everything you need, but everything's on the periphery. And it's basically like a farmer's market. And he buys one of those little doll thingies. It's like, uh, I forget what they're called, but they're like little dolls inside it. Like, like there's a big thing and you unscrew it and there's a smaller dog going down several times into it, right? And Alexander makes him buy this and says the little one is him. And they get back to the apartment and we're getting to the end of this movie now. And... They're carrying the groceries into the apartment, and Alexander says, oh, I forgot the doll, and turns to run back across the street. Now, keep in mind, this is like a main city. I think this is like supposed to be like New York City or some shit. Um, and the moment he turns to run across the street, Daniel turns to him, and Alexander gets hit by a truck. So now we have a breakdown and, you know, a big weepy moment and Alexander is sprawled on the ground and, um, you know, the driver of the truck has gotten out and is coming around to, to check and see what happened. Uh, Daniel is on the ground with him and is like, you know, doing the all crying thing. And Alexander is oddly calm for a guy who just got hit by a goddamn truck and is dying. And he tells him that it's time for him to leave him and he loves him and he'll always be with him. And then he fades. So Daniel is sitting on the, on the ground cradling or in his mind cradling or seeming to be cradling something that's no, not there and screaming for someone to call 911. And the guy that hit Alexander in quotation marks, um, is like, man, are you okay? I almost hit you. Do you need help? So he has the whole little freak out moment here, and this is where things start to wrap up. So it fades from that scene to 
Daniel's sitting on the curb in front of his building. It's during the car accident. It was starting to rain. Now it's sunny and he's dry and kind of gets up and walks off. And he had already started kind of getting back into work. So he goes back to his little producer and it's like, I, he had just secured a deal to do something else. And he wanted her on it and he convinces her and a couple of the small things like, so you see him walking by himself to do some of the things that he had done while he was with Alexander. So they had gone skinny dipping at a lake. He goes and does that by himself. They had gone to get ice cream. And here's where things get confusing more so for me, because when he went with Alexander to get the ice cream, he hand, he bought two cones and handed one to Alexander. And this is why where there's some room for interpretation because he handed it to him. No one acted like he was talking to himself throughout this movie. That when he did go in places where there were other people, it, it always seemed like everybody knew that there were two people there, but now he's doing those things that he was doing with Alexander alone. So, you know, they, the, the movie pretty much wraps up where with him walking, um, after the, the job thing or whatever, he's walking, he goes and gets himself an ice cream cone, which is specifically butterscotch flavor because that was his favorite. But it was ironically Alexander's favorite and Alexander's suggestion originally for them to go get. Um, and then he's walking towards a bridge where he had had a panic attack previously, and now he's able to walk across it. And the movie just ends right here. And I thought, this is a hell of a movie. But I'm confused because I still have questions. Because it's never explicitly stated that Alexander was a figment of his imagination. So I don't know if he was schizophrenic and this was just, you know, one of his schizophrenic delusions. I don't know if this person was like sent there to help guide him and get him out of the funk he was in. And once he was out and no longer needed him, it had to die. And then it just faded. Like there's the movie leaves the ending kind of up to you to determine what the hell Alexander was. And I just want to point out a couple of reasons why I'm still so confused and the questions that I now have. If Alexander was never real and all this sex was had, was he having sex with another random person? Was he fucking a pillow or a comforter that's balled up like a person? Was he jacking himself off when he was getting brain? I have questions. And they are not answered. And if Alexander was real, well, why the fuck does he fade from existence that way? Was he some kind of angel sent down to help him move on? I mean, and, you know, when he goes, like, skinny dipping, he does kind of, and goes, in, or when he goes back to the lake and he goes and dives in, he's not naked that time, but... You know, he goes and he when he goes underwater, he kind of sees Alexander, but then he comes out and he knows he's just by himself. I have so many questions that are unanswered. And I'm like, I this movie was made back in 2015. I highly doubt there's any fucking follow up to this movie, but I would love an answer to these questions. So. I'm going to recommend this movie to anyone that, you know, likes this kind of suspense drama, you know, kind of open-ended type of conclusion for you to go and watch for yourself and get back to me and tell me what the hell your interpretation of it was because 
Part of me, the logical part of me says that maybe he had developed a form of, you know, schizophrenia or was just suffering from delusions, but that's a really long ass delusion to suffer through and for no one to remark on when you're in public. The more fantasy oriented side of me says this had to be some kind of message um you know taking other little tidbits like his aunt tells him that his mother wouldn't would hate to see him um moping around and blaming himself and miserable and then looking at the flashback of him and the friend and the friend was blonde haired like him i would question why the hell the kid you know the guy that would help bring him out of this um, and accept himself a little bit more would be so young. But you know, I'm like, maybe that this kid, Alexander, is the kid that he experimented with and it's just needed to be younger in order for him to feel slightly more mature and warm up to it. I don't know. I think that's probably the point of the movie is to end with some mystery like that so you kind of draw your own conclusions I kind of, I don't know which one I prefer, but yeah. So that is the movie Steel. Again, it was it's on Amazon Prime. It's in the LGBTQ community, uh, category. It is. It came out in 2015. So if you want to look this up and discuss this with me, please do, because I need additional input on this one. Like this was a surprisingly good gay drama movie that wasn't, a whole bunch of stereotypes like it wasn't just oh um gay uh guy has a straight male best friend and uh the straight male best friend must become gay for him or uh got a hit on the friend's dad or any of that dumb stereotypical shit that's like okay please god don't do any more movies like this um so this one was really good and because of that i felt the need to talk about it a little bit on here and request some additional input because i need somebody to watch this shit with me you know watch it and come back to me and give me their input i just thought it was really good so that pretty much wraps up what i'm going to do for today's episode for episode 50 i wanted to end that on a, a positive review note because that was just a really interesting movie and i feel that uh, i can branch out a little bit and do some of the smaller movie reviews like that when i find something really good and worth talking about now there are some cringeworthy ones on there that i could talk about but i'm going to need to be drunk because there was one in particular that i gotta go find the title of that was really disturbing to me and there was one that was just a little weird but yeah i might do a future show on both of those because one was weird because it was creepy and one was weird because it was just fucking weird and it's a, a very odd situation but i guess it sort of worked out in the end so either way if you want to look up that movie look it up watch it tell me about it tell me what your thoughts you can do it on the show. Just do it on social media. I really don't care which. Um, but somebody come talk to me about this damn movie so that I know what, you know, I, I can get another perspective on what I just watched last night. And we'll go rewatch again so that 
I can be prepared to discuss it yet again because it was very interesting to me. But we're going to go ahead and wrap this up now. And now y'all know the usual. If you want to donate, you can do so here uh, from the Anchor version of the podcast, which allows you to do a monthly donation. Or if you just want to do some one-time small donations, you can do that from a website on dracosden.com. There's a donate button on the main page and on the blog where I share the podcast and all my other book reviews and book tours and all that stuff. Um, also, if you just want to give me some input, you can do that on the website from the contact me form or from my social media, um, all at Draco's Den on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. I'm going to go ahead and wind this down and thank everyone for listening along for 50 episodes now, and we're going to continue more, um, Later this week or next week, you know, we'll do another episode. And I don't know which topic I'm going to be covering yet, but we're going to get to them. Until next time, everyone, you know, keep in mind we are still in the pandemic and cases are on the rise. So wear your damn mask, wash your hands, stay home if you don't have to be out and stay safe. I'll talk to you next time.